Hello and welcome back to the other 99% podcast where we take a step back from the 1% gains that society has become obsessed with and instead look at the other 99%. You got it, first time. Yeah, first time, I'm getting good at that. No pressure. No, no pressure. pressure. How you doing, you all right? Yeah, I'm all good. Um, it's been a productive day so far. I, we we're actually recording this on a Monday this week. Um, as you know, Mondays are my day off. Um, so yeah, I've had a nice productive morning slash afternoon, um, getting ready for the week ahead. Excellent. How's the training been? Yeah, training's been good. Um, I've been really enjoying my training recently. Um, I'm in the middle of writing a new training block for my online clients where the goal is to add 30 kilograms to their lifts and lose 10 kilograms of fat over six months. So that's, um, that's what I'm, that's what I've been working on today. I like that. I think we're going to have to come back to that because I've definitely come out on this podcast before and we've said that it's very difficult to both build strength and lose weight at the same time. Have we said that before? I think we have, yeah. I, I think I think body recomposition or building muscle and losing fat is nowhere near as difficult as people think it is. It, be, it was very, very bro science like us growing up, it was like, no, you have to bulk or you have to cut. You can't build muscle and lose fat at the same time. Okay, well, that's interesting. And um, I think I might have to look at one of your programs. Uh, anyone who follows us on social media will know that um, I'm going to start Sonny Webster's six week squat program as of tomorrow, I think I've got the initial setup call. Um, so I think that's going to I'm interested to see what comes of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested by this because I've seen him advertise that squat program before. And he talks about, you know, have you tried Smolov? Have you tried this Russian squat routine? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? And I've obviously tried all of those things. Um, <laughs> so I'm keen to see. I'm keen to see what he comes up with. Yeah, because I I think I've just grown tired at the moment of researching my next method or the next way to change it. And I just, when the opportunity came along, I just wanted to be told what to do for six weeks and not have to think about what I was going to do each session, somebody else was going to do that for me. So although you kind of know where the information is and where to get it, I just didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah, yeah. And like that's like the role of a coach, right? It's just remove the thinking so you can just focus on the training. Um, that's, how, that's how I see it anyway. Like one of the biggest roles for a coach is you, like they trust you to provide them with a really good program and you can just crack on and do it. Like no other distractions, just focus on delivering the training as well as you can. Um, and removing that stress of having to think about what you need to do in the gym each day um, is, is really, really beneficial. And you can just go in and do whatever's on the programme. Yeah, it's just the amount of time it takes up as well, then, isn't it? Because there's no then there's no thought then outside kind of your actual gym time. I can look at the session as I'm going there. Brilliant. I'm doing that today. Off, off I go. Yeah. Yeah. And I know I can't remember if I said this on the podcast before, but obviously in my old job, I was in the same office as a load of S&C coaches and a lot of them would just go on to like Google and get whatever program up and just follow that because like they just could not be bothered to think about more programming because that's their day job. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that. So yeah, excited for that one. Um, so we can discuss that probably in next week's episode, how that's going. Um, but the numbers hopefully will be will be good. Um, 
you know, not lifting that heavy at the moment. Um, so he promises a PB, which I don't think is that hard to achieve given where I'm currently at. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it'd be nice to have someone else doing all the heavy lifting, so to speak. What have you got a goal that you're aiming for? Or? Um, I mean, yes, ultimately, it'd be lovely to say that once again, I could get near 200 um, for a back squat, but that's not realistic in six weeks. So above 150 would be nice. Yeah, nice. But I haven't lifted. I was actually responding to your um, Instagram story this morning about when was the last time you failed the lift? Yeah. Uh, most never. Or constantly lifting within my own boundaries. Haven't gone near a one rep max in so many years because it's just not been relevant. Yeah, well, so where I'm going to put this off on my Instagram later is like the point of that post is um, there's not necessarily any benefit to training to failure. For definitely for strength, maybe slightly more benefit for hypertrophy, but for strength, you don't need to go near failure. But I don't think people will train anywhere near close enough to failure. Um, and if you're never ever getting to failure, like how do you gauge where your perception of effort is really at? So you, if, if you never ever fail, you might always be six, seven, eight reps short of failure, which is where I think where most people are. Really, you want to be one, two, three reps short of failure for your, for your effective working sets. Yeah, for sure. And this is a very unsubstantiated fact, but I think it was Ross Edgley's book where I read this, that the human body is still designed to protect itself. And therefore we stop at when we're working at about 40% of our capacity. Yeah, like that's like that's one of the adaptations to training is those neural adaptations. So like learning to recruit more motor units. Um, you have that built in, like you said, protective mechanisms. You don't want to put your self in harm's way yeah and you do hear these stories of you know women lifting cars off children after an accident and things like that and they you know if you'd ask them if they could lift a car the answer would have been no but when you're in that that stressful situation you do manage to do it so you definitely can go further um, than you think you can but yeah I think that's another thing about having someone doing my programming for me if he tells me I'm going to lift that well I'm going to go away and and give it a go yeah, yeah. Well, it'd be interesting to see if he prescribes like RPEs or percentages or, yeah, see where he goes with it. Yeah, because there's so many different ways to do things. Yeah. Cause one of the things I played around with before was um, you do it, your last set to failure and then you get an update, predicted one at max. So, like, the program constantly adjusts to you. But it's so psychologically draining, like having to go into the gym each day and do it. was taking me like, five six minutes rest just before that last set to failure to try and get myself up for it and a lot of the guys that had on that program found the same thing like it was just too draining to get yourself up to a set to failure each time so I've, I've moved away from that my more recent programming is like a rep range so it might be four to six reps for four sets of a deadlift once you hit four sixes so the top of that rep range on a certain weight and you move up in weight again um, and that's how I'm trying to like manage that progression at the moment yeah, it's another way to think of it as well. If you could do two more reps at that weight for each set, go up again as well. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think people are really bad at knowing that unless you try. Like my squat session this morning, I did a set of 12 and 130 and I thought, I think that's pretty near my limit. And I went up to 140 and I got another 12. But I would have said I was like one or two reps short of failure on that 130. And I thought I was probably going to get between eight and 10. Um, but yeah, that's like... I think part of that is arousal as well. When you put more weight on the bar, you can feel yourself just getting more up for it. And those first five or six reps feel so much lighter. Um, but yeah, there's, yeah, there's a ton of stuff to 
Uh, and just be safe with it as well. Like if you're doing it in a squat, you know, we're talking about squatting here. If, we, if you're doing it in the squat cage, yeah. worse, worse, just drop it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've actually, did you show me the video on my Instagram where I failed it? Well, I didn't fail it, but the bar hit the like cliff or something and then all the plates fell off and whacked me in the chin. Fantastic. <laughs> I, 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 um, I just go like outside the cage now and then I just drop it off my back or off my front, if it's front or back squat. Um, I think that is the safest way to fail a squat. Yeah, because that video could have ended up in one of those gym meme Instagram things because it really was quite funny. I know it hurt you, but I found it funny to watch. <laughs> you should have seen how much blood there was. I have to go back and find that. <laughs> <laughs> keep an eye out for that on our social medias this week but oh, actually yeah. we're talking um this week about programming um and how having somebody else when you're getting back into exercise having somebody else to do that can be quite helpful and we're going to start with with the the famous couch to 5k yeah yeah so you, you you've gone away and had a good look at the the program haven't you i didn't i had a skim of it yeah so in essence it's um an interval session each time um it's broken up you can change whether you do three four um sessions a week um and to begin with because this is a couch to 5k the idea is that you are getting from the couch doing no running um i know people that have come back to this when they've had children um so people that have had had kids um uh, people that haven't run since they were at school and now they're sort of middle-aged and I actually think it's a brilliant program for getting people started because it's very, very manageable. There's no pace set. Um, you can go at whatever pace you want. They just tell you the amount of time that you're going to walk and the amount of time that you're going to run for. Um, and to begin with, uh, the, the the walking is much more than the running. So you you run for maybe 15 seconds at a time and the whole session lasts 20 minutes. By the end, you're running continuously for an entire 5K. But that period of sort of 90 seconds walking or two minutes walking decreases week on week. So you do the same session, um, sometimes up to three times in a week. Uh, and then the next week you do it again, but with slightly shorter recoveries. And you've got the option within that as well to repeat weeks. So if you don't feel that you're ready to go up a week, then you can just do the same one again at the same intensities. And it's on like, um, uh, like an online sort of podcast style. So you can I actually think it's an MP3 file, which shows how old this is. Um, but you can have it in your ear and it says, you know, run now, walk now. You know, there is zero thought involved with this. You don't have to do the timings yourself. You don't need a sports watch. You can literally just go out and follow this thing that's in your ear or in your hand like it's brilliant. Yeah, and that, I, I thought I thought it was actually quite a new thing. So I'm sure there's an app for it now, isn't there? Yeah, I think there's so many variations of it because it had so many so much success. I mean, yeah. I, I've written sort of different variations of that for people um, based around those sort of guiding principles of start with a lot of walking and end up with no walking. Um, you know, that that's your trajectory. Yeah, that might be quite like you could break down the principles in that because it's it start it's essentially um, minimum effective dose is what you're aiming for to start with. Like if you're saying you've got someone that does currently does no training even if you just run for 15 seconds um well probably 20 times or less than 20 times in that first 20 minute session that, that's going to be enough training to start making you fitter and obviously the benefits of doing it that way is reducing your risk of injury and then just building up slowly from there um but it, it is interesting that um 
like the purpose of an interval training is obviously like breaking up high intensity work so you can accumulate more high intensity training but obviously they're doing it here because even like a really really slow jog for someone untrained they're probably not gonna be able to sustain that intensity so that is very high intensity for them yeah and, and that's what it is high intensity is a relative term yeah. um, actually if you took an elite an elite runner um, or a very fit person and gave them the couch to 5k program because it just says run for this duration walk for this duration they could still have a good session out of that because they'd be working at their equivalent of a high intensity so yeah. it, it really is something that you can then take with you and progress yourself if you want to yeah and then there's a there's other variations of isn't it there's a, there's a 10k and a half marathon and a marathon i think so they obviously don't fit into the the nhs one because the nhs are trying to get people to do the their, their 150 minutes a week um uh, and the 5k is you know it's, it's a very round number it's something that we use in the uk a lot isn't it um park run is obviously huge in this country um and has done brilliant things well basically for the, the health of the nation by making it so kind of inclusive this running community so I think that the ne the next step after a couch to 5k is to start getting involved in that kind of park run environment um, and then from there when we start to think about how you split training up to maybe do a 10k or a half marathon or a marathon um, it, it is interesting isn't it because we, we had our, our interview with Paul and, and we were talking about um, how a lot of people think that more is more I want to get back into running I must run a marathon well yeah. What what does that running a marathon actually get you? Um, apart from potentially risking injury, a lot of early mornings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But if you if you are aiming for that sort of thing, it's important to build up to it and not just think right. It's January first. My New Year's resolution is I'm going to run a marathon and then go out and try and run 20k the next day because that's not how it works. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that, that is likely to injure you. Um, so overall, we're we're a fan of the Couch to 5K program. We think it's nice, gradual progressions week on week, um, follows logical sound principles. And if you are looking to, like you said, you're that person who just wants to get fitter, don't try and run a marathon. Just go and build up to doing your 5K, and then you're going to feel better, and then reassess your goals from there. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think that psychologically, when you're going back into something, if someone says to you, that you've got to go for a 20 minute run that can be really quite daunting um but when you break up these these intervals your session goes so much quicker than you think it will yeah. i actually um we spoke about it that i had my first sort of um was kind of injury free enough to start getting back to high higher intensity running so I did my first interval session again and by the end of it i'd run for longer than i would normally in a continuous session and i felt fantastic because you only actually had to focus on the next two minute block or the next three minute block yeah. um, and time just passes by so much quicker it's really nice and time chunking is something that we as humans do quite a lot you see lots of jokes on the internet oh 20 minutes on the treadmill that's four times five minutes that's 10 times two minutes 20 times one minute that actually is how our brain wants to process larger amounts of information that, that's what I do when I'm like, say I'm on a treadmill, that's what I'll do. Say I'm doing an hour run, I'll be like, I'll oh, break, break this into 10 minute chunks, just get through another 10 minutes, another 10 minutes. So yeah, yeah. absolutely, I 100% I do that. Yeah, and we do it with all sorts of things. Um, I will dig out the research for next episode, but you can do it with like lectures, you can do it with um, 
different things that you're having to listen to, you know, training videos that, that nobody really wants to do, but they are necessary. You're like, right, I'm going to do the first 15 minutes and then I'm going to do the second 15 minutes. And you work your way through it like that. And it seems like less of a, a mountain and more of a molehill. There you go. Nice little productivity hack. Um, what you were saying before as well about those sessions end up being your your longer ones and you've run for more total time. When I was doing a lot of running, I would 100% found that as well. Like my interval sessions would end up being some of my longer sessions of the week, even compared to like my long runs over a weekend. Um, yeah, they, they just end up being high volume because you, you break it into chunks, you do some easy running in between and before you know it, you've covered like 12, 13, 14K. And with the interval training as well, if you think about the benefit that we can get so we're we're kind of moving beyond the couch to 5k now um you know you've done your first 5k and you've got the capacity to work out a high intensity so i wouldn't recommend this kind of straight off the bat because you, you do risk injury but once you've done that first 5k and, you, and you're running frequently um you can start to think about high intensity work and one of my favorite stats when i was um studying at uni was when we looked at tabata training which for those who don't know is a four minute set and you work for 20 seconds and rest for 10 seconds continuously and we were looking at this on a bike so the um the intensity of your 20 second work is 110 percent of your maximum so for your bike it was using ftp so if that was 200 watts um then you'd go at 220 for these these 20 second um intervals but you could get the equivalent benefit of 30 minutes continuous exercise from four minutes of work yeah just such a time saver isn't it in a busy world that's fantastic yeah yeah i, I remember when tabata was yeah like went almost like viral didn't it it wasn't viral back then i don't think but like the equivalent of today's viral it was everywhere yeah and, and in all these different training things but i think where people go wrong with that type of training is they don't actually work hard enough in the 20 seconds they work hard but it needs to be almost you're unable to continue at the end of each 20. yeah yeah and that 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 fits my biases with training is people don't tend to push it that hard but um yeah i haven't i've never actually gone back and looked at the research there i've spent a lot of time going through the research on cardiovascular training and like intervals there seems to be a lot of research now on um a, a similar sort of intensity to what you were saying probably between 100 and 120 percent of i look at it mainly in a running context they, they tend to use max aerobic speed or vo2 max and the classic sessions you get are like 10 two minutes four four minutes that that type of stuff even down to the 30 30 um but there's less in terms of like that really short interval work with a one to two work rest ratio which is what tabata is yeah and it is quite explosive and it you know it does depend what you're trying to achieve but we spoke about for those people who are looking to run their first 10k or their first half marathon thinking about how they break up their training and i think it was Sorensen that came up with the polarized training split where you're looking at doing 80 percent um they say zone one or two but it's modern thinking is perhaps it's more 80% at a comfortable level um, and 20% at your absolute max. So this really high intensity work. Yeah, I'm glad you've, you've jogged my thinking there. That's where I was trying to go with that last point was um, that the Tabata training, what you're looking at there is that that's mainly working your anaerobic system. Um, like all high intensity is predominantly anaerobic. 
because um, as soon as you go past that threshold, that's where you start to transition over. But once you get to those really high intensities where, like you're saying, it's not sustainable for a long period of time, you're getting less cardiovascular or metabolic load there um, compared to like those longer work durations, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and we were talking before we came on here about the importance of how you split that up, whether you do it by time, whether you do it by distance my suggestion and my preference is to always do it by time i was having this discussion with a friend this weekend because we were out running and our garmin's 100 percent the better way to do it yeah because we were my garmin told me that i needed to do i think it was seven two minutes at like a 350 pace which is horrific i don't think i can actually run at 350 pace but we live in the hill you know yeah sometimes it's a 1350 pace up a hill you know and yeah. i think if you're but you can still work at a high intensity for yeah. a period of time so even if you're going up a hill that's absolutely fine you're not running at the same pace but you can still work hard and you can still achieve this interval benefit despite not running quickly because you're running as quickly as you can for the conditions that you're in yeah 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 and i i thought you were talking about it from like say we were following a program and it told us both to go and run 10k but maybe you could average five minute pace and i'd average six minute pace well i'm gonna end up running for an extra was that 10 minutes <laughs> that really stumped me then um which when you're looking at when you're looking at workload so like the distance of 10k would be external workload um whereas internal would be the 50 or 60 minutes in zone two which is like the pace we're running at um but what determines adaptation or how fit you'll get is the internal load so in that scenario i've got a higher internal workload than you um but obviously you're trying to balance your internal workload so you you get the outcome you're after so if you just give everyone external workload like 10k 20k whatever instead of maybe it's 50 minutes in zone two that that's my preferred way to program it for those reasons yeah and i think when particularly with like the couch to 5k where there's zero um distance prescription at the beginning where it's it's time walking and it's time running not having a goal to try and achieve in each interval so you don't have to try and run 100 meters or 50 meters you can go as far as you're capable that day because i mean quite frankly some days you're going to feel better than others and over time you're going to get fitter so yeah. even if you feel you know terrible you can still get the same benefit from that session yeah for sure um we were going to move on to how you approach programming once you get past that stage weren't we so like you, you started touching it then um was it Sorensen? how do you say his name her name i don't know if it's i don't know their gender it was just dr Sorensen actually so i didn't really give much away Dr. Sorensen, yeah, you, you started to talk about the polarised model. Do you want to keep on going with that thought process? Yeah, so the idea is that we spend, like I said, 80% of our time working out a very easy internal workload uh, and 20% needs to be in that kind of zone five, zone six, our, our kind of maximal 
effort and the idea is that the the 80 percent is building our capacity and our ability to tolerate um higher loads longer training sessions etc um whereas the the anaerobic work so that's our work without oxygen our interval sessions um are looking at pushing our, our lactate threshold higher so that um over time if you think that you can normally work at uh, a seven out of ten um over time and that's so, sorry I'll, I'll start again so if you work at a seven out of ten and that means you run 5k in 25 minutes over time you'll still run 5k in 25 minutes but it's now a six out of ten instead of a seven out of ten so we start to push that threshold a little bit higher and a little bit higher um by basically doing two things at once we're building that that kind of workload that capacity and uh the kind of sharp end of the stick as well to push that threshold up so that's the theory yeah and you've, you've done this quite a lot haven't you in your own, own training yeah so when i was cycling a lot it, it was it's a way to make a lot of quick benefit um again it's a fun way to train because you get more variation in in the sessions that you're doing um it breaks it breaks the week up where you put things and actually as we were saying before you know it's great that you want to run a 10k a half marathon a marathon but actually you need to to keep that strength training in there as well now if you're just using continuous training or just using interval training it's quite hard to get um the strength training in there and actually optimize it so we were saying that you 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 split your days and you split your sessions where you've got easy days and hard days and actually i think we both agree that that you put your gym training on the same day as your hard day that that high intensity interval session yeah in theory that makes sense but i'm yet to meet an athlete that actually wants to do that i imagine you're probably the same aren't you yeah because you know you particularly if you're thinking of running or cycling um which are very lower body dominant if you're then going into the gym you're going to be using your legs there's no point going in there and trying to build massive strength in your upper body because it's not useful for the exercise um that you're trying to carry out so you're you're carrying that level of fatigue in your lower body already uh, and then you go out and you try and work at these high intensity intervals and you know they're not pleasant at the best of times but if you've got a little bit of fatigue in there as well then actually they become well yeah unpleasant yeah 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 and what, what did you do to try and was that just a case of like trying to separate those sessions by as much time as you could yeah so I, i've been quite lucky in that um I work in education, so I do, for the most part, know when my days are going to start and when they're going to end. Yeah. Uh, don't have young children, so I don't have to worry about that sort of thing. So I've been able to get one session done in the morning um, and one session done kind of in the afternoon. And I know that a lot of the research would suggest that you should do your your weight training first um, and then have as much gap as possible and then, and then get the cardio work done. But I've always preferred doing my aerobic um sort of cardio training first thing in the morning and then weight training in the evening yeah there's a lot of um have we spoken about the interference effect on this podcast before touched on yes yeah, so obviously like there's a, there's a couple of different theories there um i think the most logical one is it just comes down to like a resource management thing so like you were saying if you do your hard session and go straight into the gym tired you're not going to get as much out of that session um so by separating it out you can get more out of each one in terms of like order i don't think the the cell signaling thing is actually a thing i think that's nonsense um so i would just prioritize whichever is more important to you 
So if you're saying I'm doing the strength training to support my running performance or my cycling performance, okay, that's cool. I would do that first and then do your strength training session data. But if it's, and this is more the case for me, I want to prioritize my strength and hypertrophy work. So I'd, I'd do that in the morning and then my cardio work later on. This is a little bit of a tangent, but obviously we love a tangent on this this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, where do you stand on the idea that muscle temperature changes throughout the day and therefore performance can shift from the morning to the afternoon? Because a lot of people will say, I actually run quicker when I run in the afternoon or if I run at 11 o'clock in the morning instead of six o'clock in the morning, we actually have a very different time, but we haven't changed in fitness level. Yeah, m- muscle temperature definitely changes strength and power outputs there's tons of research in that that's one of the ideas of a warm-up um in terms of in terms of endurance and time to exhaustion normally pre-cooling delays your time to exhaustion so i would have thought performance would be worse but you're coming across people saying that that's better well i just think that the idea that when you wake up in the morning i've personally found it much more difficult to to get moving at the same rate it takes a lot longer to get that increased muscle temperature so if your session is quite short if you're doing that that interval work it's not you don't necessarily perform at the same level if you're trying to do a threshold run where you've got a very short warm-up and then you kind of kick off and and work quite hard from the off that can be difficult in the morning yeah i'm with with you yeah um i've never really thought about that yeah I, i i don't know what the what was your original question how much difference does it make yeah and and do you think that's something to be do you think people need to worry about that um i wouldn't worry about it because always like if you try and get everything perfect that like it's, it's never going to be perfect and we don't know what perfect is so you just want like a really robust solution um instead of aiming for optimal if that makes sense so maybe it is more optimal to run a couple of hours after you wake up but if you have to go and run before work just go and run before work and don't worry about that because I, f- I find very few people actually have the option of exactly when they want to train um could the best time to lift weights would be early afternoon based on the balance of testosterone and cortisol because they're both highest when you wake up first thing in the morning um but then testosterone drops off later so you end up with like there's more like optimal balance towards the like mid-afternoon um but yeah, most people just don't end up in like how many people do you know that have the option to go and train in the afternoon? Not not many. No, exactly that. I mean, I think it's probably starting to change with the idea of like working from home. And I was speaking okay. to people recently where um more of an emphasis with these kind of bigger companies in the city in particular are putting gyms like on their ground floor or, or wherever that, that they want their employees to go and use during the day. Yeah. Because yeah benefit and and this is a, an article i bring out every single summer in schools when it gets to like revision time and and everyone's a little bit sort of stressed by how much work they need to do etc etc and the first thing they want to remove is pe or games or running um whatever it is you know if you're an adult if you've got a lot of work on the first thing that often goes is the exercise but yeah. the um the benefits that it has on your brain when when you're moving and when you're active are phenomenal and it really should be something that's prioritized especially when you're busy yeah i i agree with that but do you know what? that's really interesting this is a bit of a tangent again but um do you ever listen to derek he's got a youtube channel called more plates more dates so he was chatting to um <laughs> fantastic <laughs> he was chatting to um alex can't remember his surname it's like Hormizi or something um but they were talking about 
if they go and train legs really, really hard in the morning, then they're wiped for the rest of the day and they're nowhere near as productive. But I don't actually find that to be the case at all for myself anyway. Yeah, it depends, doesn't it? Because we're talking about that intensity and are people actually getting near their their failure? I, um, yeah. you know, very lucky to have a long summer holiday. And, and this weekend we ran a, a, a hilly 10K on Sunday morning. Um, and then I actually fell asleep in the early afternoon. Um, <laughs> I was absolutely exhausted. Whereas that's not been the case with running shorter distances. Um, yeah. It was just a shock to the system to, to kind of challenge that a little bit further so if you are training very very hard then potentially you might find fatigue later in the day yeah but even like i trained really hard this morning and i've, I've been pretty productive all day um i don't finish work until i say it's my day off Obviously, i've got a few like pt sessions and stuff to do so i'll finish at seven o'clock tonight but i tend to feel okay throughout the day by the time it gets to nine ten o'clock then i'm ready for bed but i get up at half five as well so that's about normal i think yeah, but I think it's what you're used to, isn't it? And when we talk about these yeah. programs like Couch to 5K, you're used to being sedentary. You're used to doing absolutely nothing. And that's where this this program has such a huge benefit that it takes you out of that, that kind of stasis and, and challenges you a little bit more. But it's very, very slow increments. They are super, super gradual so that you don't get that kind of extreme fatigue, um, extreme muscle soreness that, you know, could potentially put you off because, yeah. you know, I think over time you learn to enjoy those feelings, but initially they're, they're not pleasant. Yeah, yeah, they're uncomfortable to start with. Yeah. Um, we so celebrate Doms now, don't we? Sorry? We celebrate Doms now. Yeah, we love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've kind of lost, with that tangent, I kind of lost track of where we got to. I think we ticked off polarising, didn't we? Yeah, ticked off polarizing, um, but then the importance of keeping that that strength work and that core work um, in our programs, basically for whatever whatever cardiovascular um, training that you're doing. I actually can't think of a single modality that doesn't benefit from strength training. Yeah, I don't think I don't think there is there won't be one because it's always linked to economy and other performance indicators. The popular one I've heard before is swimming. But if you look at um, collegiate athletes in the States and, you know, there's a, a lot of downsides, I think, to the way that they train their athletes, but they basically take their swimming scholars um, and they know they can swim because they've got a scholarship. So they've got these fantastic times, but they basically flip their training around. So they spend way more time in the gym lifting weights and getting super strong and super robust. And then they, they spend a lot less time in the pool. And over time, like over the years, because they've got them for whatever it is, four years, they they do shift that. But even in something like swimming, where people think you don't need to be you know super built, super strong, um, you still benefit hugely from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's actually a really interesting model. I, I rate that. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, what you see in a lot of programs is going from like pathway to senior programs they'll get thrown into a program with lots more training volume than what they used to and end up breaking but really prioritizing strength early on because that gives you the capacity to be able to tolerate a lot of volume um so that's a, it's a good model to to follow yeah and again this idea of of approaching your training with a plan and i think if you start getting back into running because that's what we're talking about the couch to 5k you're given a very strict plan and I think that creates the habit of working within those that kind of planned constraints and, uh, and planned limits for each week and each month can really help you sort of not get overexcited and not do too much too soon and, and end up getting injured. Yeah, yeah. 
and that is like we've we've all been there. I've done that myself. I'm gonna go and run every single day. Um, like I'm, I'm quite fortunate. I've never really had that many injuries related to running, but yeah, like follow a nice planned, progressive program, um, and you'll you'll be in a much better place. And you can get them. You know, there's some really good stuff on um, Runners World and things like that. You know, these online magazines. But again, they're they focus on that external load, so they're not internally loaded. So it's all about progressing your distance. Yeah. Um, each week and of course that's not the same for each person so I think probably the the big message for me from this episode is that Couch 5k is absolutely awesome for so many people but then when you come out of that you you need to keep that structure and it's definitely worth getting someone to program that for you because if you if you take one of these off the shelf um, kind of plans it's not necessarily going to work for you yeah yeah and then um at that stage as well you'd probably look at doing some stuff to guide your intensity of sessions whether it's using heart rate um like heart rate belts or maybe doing some time trials you, you've got a load of other, other options in there as well to guide your intensity for each session yeah because i think um I, i've had the question before like how do i work out what my threshold speed is mm. and i i you know in in the states for a lot of their sports players they use a one mile run um i think that that's possibly a little bit short um so yeah i would go with probably a 5k um is about right so whatever speed you run your fastest 5k at is probably about your threshold speed so if you run it in 25 minutes five minute k's is your threshold so when you need to work at higher intensity you need to run quicker than five minutes and at a lower intensity that 80 percent you need to be slower than five minutes yeah, yeah, 5K is definitely nearer the mark. Like, this is debated amongst physiologists. What's a better marker of steady state? Is it critical speed, which is probably closer to the time frame you were talking about there, about 25 minutes, um, versus LT2 or lactate turn point two, which is tends to sit a little bit lower. You probably hold on to it for about 40 minutes if you're well-trained. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be around about that, that kind of mark. Obviously, your other, other options are... Um, like doing lactate testing but even that's got a load of limitations to it because it's really hard to like plot that plot that curve um like my preference say again it's not something that everybody's got access to no no like my, my preference which is super simple is just doing um critical speed time trials which is similar to what you're talking about but you just do a couple of them and then you can plot a curve yeah and, and you know because again it does depend how you feel on the day but i think it's important when you're doing this this testing and i think we probably agree we use the, the critical speed time trial as a method always pick the same amount of time and always do it under the same conditions so yeah. if you're always rested when you do it make sure you continue to be rested when you do that test yeah. um do it at the same time of day if you can try and keep your your nutrition similar if you can Otherwise, all these things are going to have a real impact on your performance. Um, and that might be the reason for the change you see as opposed to the training that you've actually done. Yeah. And the last thing I'd say on that is I've only ever used that with elite athletes, like general population that I've trained to do half marathons, which I've had a couple now. Um, just getting them to try and do an interval session is is hard work. They, people don't want to do interval work because it is, it is really hard, but it's also very beneficial. Um 
but other, other than that, it's just like normally for most people, it's a case of being nice and consistent, slowly building up your volume, and you'll you'll be able to run a half marathon quite comfortably. Yeah, and I think you just hit the nail on the head there. Be consistent and build it up slowly. It starts like that with the couch to 5K, and you may be above that level already. The, the guiding principles are still the same. You still start slowly, start within your limits, find out where they are, and increase slowly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just think it, it can't really be said too many times. Um, and I wish that I listened to my own advice. So it's definitely do as you do as I say and not do as I do. Um, but that that sort of 10% increase that we've spoken about in previous episodes is about right. And it is there for a reason. Yeah. One of the best, best quotes I heard from one of, one of my old lecturers at uni was soon ripe, soon rotten. And he was talking about like peaking. But if you ramp up um, like too quickly, then you'll go rotten very quickly as well like build up nice and slowly and then you'll maintain a higher fitness level for longer so it was something like that that's probably not the perfect analogy if you know we're not getting paid to do this exercise so we want to be doing it for as long as we can yeah and, you know if you're in your 20s 30s 40s you could you know you can run the same marathon speed in theory at the age of 70 as the age you can at 19 so you know if you stay fit and healthy for for those years 51 years um you know you don't need to rush you've got all that time to kind of get fit stay fit um and enjoy the other benefits of exercise yeah i think that's a nice summary there you have it our thoughts on the couch to 5k and programming for running brilliant um just a quick shout out to our, our new listeners. Um, I did check the stats before we came on. Um, we've got some new listeners in Brazil and in Hungary. So whoever you are, welcome. Um, but but it's great from from our point of view because people are still spreading the word and, and talking about it. So yeah, keep doing that and thank you. And as, as always, any questions, um, get in touch with us on the other 99%. We're on TikTok and Instagram now. Um, so you can reach out on either of those channels. Um, and yeah, next week we'll be discussing Stanley Webster's squat program. So tune in if you're, tune in if you're interested in that. And I imagine in that we'll talk about um, just kind of like strength and hypertrophy programming more broadly, um, as well as giving our thoughts on his program. Yeah, and we can't promise that he's going to come on, but he did reply to our Instagram story. So we'll ask the question. <laughs>